This is the Celebration Rock Podcast presented by 93XFM here in Minneapolis and UpRocks.com. I'm your host, Stephen Hyden. Today, we're going to be talking about sleeper records of 2018. Now, what is a sleeper record? Well, a sleeper record is a record that you're not hearing about every day, you know, or maybe you see one review of it and then it seems to disappear. You know, albums that are really great and they're not getting the attention that, well, I feel they deserve. And I want to shine a light on them. Because again, there's this gaping black hole of content that, well, it's a black hole that sucks content into it, I guess you could say. <laughs> you know, And we see this all the time. Albums will come out, movies will come out, TV shows, and you hear about them for a little bit and then they disappear. And it's hard to keep up with it all. So sometimes it's nicest to take a, a break and say, look, these aren't necessarily like the best records of the year, but they're really good and uh, you should give them a shot if you haven't checked them out already. So that's what we're going to be doing in this episode of the podcast. And my guest is Chris DeVille. He's a staff writer at Stereo Gum. If you are at all interested in indie rock music, you have probably read something that Chris has written. He's been around for a while. He's written a lot of stuff. He listens to a lot of stuff. He's a sharp guy, and I, I thought he'd be good on the show. And, of course, he was on the podcast. A year or so ago, we were talking about boxer the national record there's like an anniversary of that record so he is a friend of the podcast now officially so you know courtney barnett last week became a friend now chris deville is a friend of the podcast our circle of friends is growing and of course we had ian cohen a couple weeks before that he's the alec baldwin of the podcast which is a compliment to ian and also a dig at ian because you know you got to compliment ian and you have to do a dig on him Before we get to the sleeper records of 2018, I want to tell you about our good friends at Harry's, who are sponsoring this episode of the show. Now, I use Harry's, of course, because I'm a man with a beard. I have to keep the beard high and tight. And in order to do that, I use Harry's because I don't like going to the store to buy razors. It's a pain in the neck. And you go there, the razors cost a lot of money, you have to waste time driving to the drugstore. It's so great. You use Harry's. They bring the razors to your door. So if my word is not enough to get you to try Harry's, I do have a special deal just for my listeners. Now, you go to harrys.com backslash rock, and you can get a free trial offer. Now, you are going to get in this trial set the weighted ergonomic handle, the five-blade razor with lubricating strip and trimmer blade, the rich lathering shave gel, and the travel blade cover, a personal favorite of Derek Madden. He loves a travel blade cover. I do. <laughs> you know, the other day I was actually, I, I had a moment because I was shaving. I was like, oh, I'm out of razors. Yeah. And I was kind of getting that nervous thing. And like literally that day I got an email that said, your razors from Harry's are like on the way. With 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 the cover. Yeah. And like to not have to worry about that, to know that the cover was here. <laughs> was like, it was kind of rad. It was like, it was a good feeling. It was like, thanks for taking care of me, Harry's. And, you know, and, and Derek, you shave even more than me. Yeah. Because I got to shave my head. Yeah, so it's true. It's a lot of area there. So, man, that's two people that shave and use razors and like Harry's. For you people. So you have the recommendation from me and Derek and you have this trial set. 
what are you waiting for? Go to harrys.com backslash rock. Again, go to harrys.com backslash rock to redeem your offer and let them know that I sent you to help support the show. Speaking of the show, Chris DeVille, again from Stereo Gum, is our guest. We talked about favorite sleeper records. I talked about five records that I like that I want to give a little extra attention to. He talked about five records that he likes. Together, that's ten records. And I guarantee you that there will be at least, I'm going to say more than a few records that you have never heard before. So this is a, a good podcast to get great music recommendations. So again, here's me and Chris talking about our favorite sleeper records of 2018 so far. All right. So, hey, Chris, it is fun to talk to you. It's fun to talk to you because like, I've actually met you in person since the last time you were on the podcast. That's right. And, down in Cincinnati. Yeah, down in Cincy at the um, Homecoming Festival that the, that the National did and a bunch of other people. I'm always excited when I meet like music critics in person because I never meet any music critics. So it's like if you're not in New York or L.A., you're sort of on your own. Although like you're in Columbus, and that's like a mini mecca for music critics, I feel like. Yeah, we, we got, besides me, we've got Rob Harvilla who was also with us down there in Cincinnati. Yes. Uh, and uh, I guess Hanif is kind of more than just a music critic, but uh, yeah, lots of writers who've managed to keep their jobs living in Columbus. Well, that's cool. So let's talk about sleeper records. And I, I know like when I asked you if you wanted to do this, you were sort of like, well, what do we mean by sleeper records? And it is a nebulous sort of je- definition here. I guess what I'm going for, I guess I'll ask you what you were thinking when you were picking your records. I mean, a lot of the albums I'm talking about, at least some of them, they have been covered a little bit by various websites and publications, but they still feel like, I, I feel like they could be talked about more, you know, like they're not yeah. being inundated, you know, into people's faces a lot. Uh, so that, that was kind of like my thing. Although I, I was looking at like one of my records and like one of them was like an album of the week for stereo gum. So I don't, so maybe it's not really a sleeper, but I, I still feel well, like it is. So is one of my picks. And I mean, I wrote the album of the week on one of my picks, uh, filling in for Tom Bryan. Uh, but I, I feel like it can still be a sleeper, even if it's gotten some coverage, because I, I think what you're, you're alluding to is, there is there are some albums where you kind of can't escape them and everybody's raving about them and uh you know kind of the media decides together that something is just totally awesome and cannot be ignored and so i think if you just feel a bit of coverage peppered here and there uh even if it is fond like you know reverent coverage uh, it can still be a sleeper as long as there's not too much of that going around. Right, and I, I feel like especially now, like most albums come out and they're even if they're written about, it's like for a few days and then they get sucked into the black hole of bottomless content and you know, they can get lost. Like I think in terms of indie rock records, like if you're not like snail mail, you ha- you you are probably undercovered. Like I feel like the snail mail record, everyone weighed in on that and said it was great, and that's cool because it is a great record. But there's a lot of other records that uh, were not talked about. And actually, the first record I'm going to talk about, this band toured with Snail Mail earlier this year, and um, unfortunately, I have not seen this band 
yet. They're supposed to be a great live band. Uh, they're, they're a band called Shame. They're from England. Mm-hmm. They're a post-punk band. They put out their debut record in January called Songs of Praise. And I remember hearing about it at that time. And I might have like sampled a little bit when the record first came out, but it didn't really connect with me. And then like in the last month or so, um, this has become a real sort of constant listen for me. The way I would des- describe this band, and this is a, a little hacky, like I would never write this because uh, it's probably reductive, but on a podcast, you know, we can be a little looser. We're just talking here. I would describe this band if, as if, like, if, if Parquet Courts sounded more like early U2 or Echo and the Bunnymen, I would say they would sound like shame because they have that sort of, uh, again, that post-punk influence. Some of the vocals are sort of talky vocals more than sung vocals. They can be a little caustic. Uh, a lot of lyrics are like, are, are pretty funny, but they're also very cutting. Like one of my favorite lyrics on the record is I'd rather be fucked than sad. That I feel like is indicative of a lot of the <laughs> mood on this record. It's very sort of looking at life being sort of jaded, but having a sense of humor about it. Um, but at the same time, there are these great sort of uh, reverb-heavy guitar riffs on the record. Uh, very catchy, very engaging. Again, kind of reminiscent of almost like an early 80s alternative rock guitar sound. And I think that combination on the record um, has just been really addictive for me. Like, And again, like from what I understand, I haven't seen this band live yet but they are you could tell from the record that it's like a really energetic kind of zero to 90 miles per hour and and no time at all type band uh so just sort of like a young energetic band with really great hooks and i feel like the only thing i would say against this band is that i don't like the band name like shame is not a great band name as far as I'm concerned, I think it sort of downplays the exuberance of this band. I know, like, when I first heard about them, you know, they were described that they're a post-punk band called Shame. I thought, okay, well, this is just going to be sort of like a miserable-sounding record. And it probably turned me off from it a little bit. But it actually is like a really good summertime record, driving around with the windows down. Uh, very anthemic, very sort of, again, engaging and catchy and, and fun to listen to. So... That's a record that I would throw out there. Again, I feel like they've gotten a lot of attention in their home country over in the UK. It seems like a lot of the big papers over there have written about them. I haven't really seen a lot of conversation about them here in the States. Um, yeah, I've seen some, like, kind of maybe like a track review here and there. Right. Uh, but I guess most of what I've seen, like, in my Twitter timeline is stuff from England getting tweeted over in this direction. Uh, I, although I do understand, I think you're right about their live show. Uh, I was not at South by Southwest this year, but um, my understanding is that they were packing out shows and people were going crazy. So there's clearly some people out there who have caught on to this band and, and want to check them out. And again, I think that they're really definitely building like a live reputation. You know, I, was, I, I noticed like we each picked five records. I noticed that like all, I think three out of my five records are all debut albums, uh, which wasn't something I did deliberately, but it is, I think, I think it says something about the year. It seems like there's a lot of like really good debut records coming out in 2018. I don't know if you've noticed yeah, that. Yeah, there's well. no doubt about that. 
which is an exciting thing to have. I mean, it seems like we're in the process of maybe things turning over, where you're seeing a lot of younger bands starting to rise, and maybe some of the older bands, like they're still around, but they're not, maybe not as much focus on them right now. But there's new blood being pumped in to the indie rock world right now. I think that's true, and I, I think it'll be interesting to see which ones of these uh, really stick around and become the new kind of like name brand indie rock heroes. Yeah. I have a good feeling uh, about Shame. I feel like this is a band that feels like maybe a slow burn type band where they're probably never going to have the zeitgeist type attention on them, but you know, a band with a good live show that writes good songs and does all that kind of thing, it seems like that's a good recipe for maybe your third record being the big one, you know, kind of like, the, like where people don't get sick of you after your first record, uh, which is the one thing I worry about, like with Snail Mail, as much attention as she's gotten early in her career, sometimes that can be a curse as much as a blessing. Uh, but again, she seems really smart and has a good head on her shoulders, so hopefully she'll she won't be stymied by that kind of thing. Um, what is your first record on your list of, for sleepers in 2018? Uh, this is the one that I'm probably least convinced would qualify as a sleeper, but I, <laughs> I love it so much that I am bringing it up anyway, which is uh, Illuminati Hotties. And I, I think they're probably a sleeper based on you know my, the South by test that uh, I just administered to shame. Uh, we had a whole review posted on Stereo Gum about how nobody came to see Illuminati Hotties at South by. Uh, but there, this is uh, a project of it's like a basically a one woman show. Um, this woman Sarah from LA, she's a she's a producer and engineer. She's worked on albums by all kinds of people, like Coldplay and stuff. Like, not as the primary producer, but she's kind of like a, you know, a studio rat person. Uh, and she writes these really smart, fun, compact pop songs, uh, like guitar pop songs. Uh, about half the album is really upbeat and chipper, um, kind of like surf poppy, and then the other half is a lot more chill, uh, dreamy, um, melancholy kind of stuff. Um, so she, she's, she's got a lot of range, but it, it all sounds of a piece. And uh, I just, it's been one of the best albums for when I'm driving around and it's just so relentlessly hot. Uh, you know, there's some albums that, you know, just sound better at night, some albums that sound better in the winter and all that. I, I found this Illuminati Hotties album, which is called Kiss Your Frenemies, uh, to be like one of the main ridiculously hot summer albums for me. And to answer something you said earlier, this definitely qualifies as a sleeper because I had not heard the record when you mentioned it the other day. I had heard of it, but I had not listened to it. And it's funny because I got it in the mail the same day that you mentioned it to me. It was seren- it was like synchronicity going on. And <laughs> I agree. I really like the record. I've been listening to it um, ever since we talked like earlier this week, or I, I think you told me yesterday <laughs> that uh, 
we were, you were going to pick that record, but um, yeah, it's really great. And uh, another band uh, signed to Tiny Engines, uh, mm-hmm. which is a great indie label. And uh, there's a couple records by uh, from Tiny Engines on our list collectively, I think. Uh, because actually the next band I'm going to talk about is on Tiny Engines as well, and that is Wild Pink and uh, yeah. uh, their record Yoke in the Fur. And look, if you uh, like follow me on Twitter or you follow some other music writers on Twitter, you, you probably know Wild Pink already. But most people aren't on Twitter, and most people don't read music websites mm-hmm. or publications, so they may not know who Wild Pink is. And for me, this is like one of my favorite bands, younger bands that have come out in the last couple of years. Uh, they're a band uh, from New York. Uh, it's a trio led by a guy named John Ross. And John used to write commercial jingles <laughs> for a living. And I think he may still do that on the side. Uh, but he put out a record last year as a self-titled record, Wild Pink's self-titled debut. This is their next record. And it's really impressive to see the growth that has happened already in this band. The first record uh, is... You know, it was described as slow core in some circles. It's a very sort of mid-tempo, emo-sounding record. Very pretty, great lyrics, you know, storytelling lyrics. Uh, John is a really sort of literary songwriter. He's really good at kind of digging deep and painting scenes for people, almost like in a Raymond Carver type type of way. I think that's the second time I've referenced Raymond Carver on this podcast in, in, in as many <laughs> weeks. I referenced that in the Courtney Barnett interview, too. It's like the only short story writer I know, I think. I, I think I'm showing my uh, uh, lack of <laughs> knowledge for short story writers. Uh, Derek's laughing at me right now. Uh, get, to, get to the New Yorkers in here. Yeah, I know. I'm just trying to sound smart. Uh, but anyway, uh, this, this new record um, really brings out his core influences. Like I've interviewed John a couple times. He's talked a lot about loving Bruce Springsteen, Tom Petty. Jackson Brown is a favorite. He actually references Jackson Brown on a song on the new record and the new album it just sounds like a more sort of full-bodied rock band you know like the first single they put out was called lake erie and it got compared a lot and by me too to the war on drugs very sort of synthy heartland rock type sounding song and there's a lot of that kind of on the record i've also heard it likened to like tv soundtracks you know there is sort of like a john hughes quality to some of the songs mm-hmm. including uh, my favorite song on the record which is called uh, uh love is better uh kind of has that same feel like you can imagine judd nelson and melly ringwald kissing at the end of the breakfast club like with this song playing in the background um but yeah this song i just feel like this band has it all really good lyrics beautiful melodies um and you can see their evolution really happening i guess the next record that john is working on is a concept record about the American West and it's going to be like a double album which to me is like that sounds amazing like as a classic rock fan that sounds like a total that sounds like something Jackson Brown would have done in 1974 or something mm-hmm. uh, so yes Wild Pink Yoke in the Fur definitely not just one of my favorite sleeper records I would say one of my favorite albums of the year definitely a top five album for me that one has been growing on me when I first heard it I, I really liked their debut um, it kind of reminded me of, like, Death Cab a little bit. Yeah. Uh, there was this one song on it that he had this great line. It was just real simple, calm down, put your phone down. <laughs> right. um, I thought that was, like, one of my kind of sleeper 
indie rock picks for last year. But when I first heard the new one, my original reaction was that the war on drugs influence was like kind of smacked me in the face. And I was like, okay, this is, I, I felt like it was maybe a little overt, but as I've listened to it more, that's receded into the background a little bit more. And I, I've started to hear some of the richness of the, the record. And it's definitely, I don't know if I'm ready to put it in my top five, but, uh, it, it's got me excited to hear what else they're going to do. Yeah. What's next on your list? Okay, so next on my list of sleepers is the French post-hardcore band Birds in Row. Ooh, yes. Um, their album is called We Already Lost the World. Um, and this has been kind of go-to record for... Uh, I've, I've been really craving really visceral intense music the last few months and uh, i wrote in a blog post the other day i'm not sure whether that's just like as an outlet for frustration about the state of the world or like just an antidote for sitting in front of the computer too much or what but like i've been really craving music that just hits super hard uh to like kind of a brutal extent and this band birds in row is doing it for me. I wasn't familiar with them before this year. I guess they've been around for, you know, six or seven years at this point. Uh, but their, their new album, it's out on Death Wish, uh, the label run by Converge. And Converge is definitely a good reference point for what they do. Um, I would say, like, Refused and At the Drive-In or other good reference points for what they do. Just, like, really uh, intense screamy post-hardcore music. Um, I guess they have like a whole mysterious vibe where they, they obscure their faces in photos and they don't use their names, just initials and, and all that. Uh, but I'm, I'm not really up on their whole story. I've just been really getting into their music, uh, which uh, has been, again, satisfying that, that desire for intensity and for music that you can just kind of like flail violently to didn't that band woo life do the same thing with the names remember that band yeah i didn't really care about that band though <laughs> i feel like they did the same thing like there was something like where like in the they, they never showed their faces in the photos and they didn't say who the names were and I don't know. It's like there's got to be a band like every six or seven years that like does that. That's got to be like their thing. And now it's like this band's turn. I, I don't know if there was a band before Woo Life that did that. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. It, it wasn't like all. It was like all capital letters. I don't know if that was like. Short I for always anything. assumed that's how you pronounce it, but I've never had a conversation about that band with like a real person, <laughs> uh, not on the internet. So <laughs> I feel like we got to get uh, Ian Cohen on the line because he's like a huge. He, he'll occasionally just drop Woo Life references into uh, his Twitter feed. I feel like he's just like a huge Woo Life fan. I never cared about that band either, really. But there's like Woo Life stands out there. Yeah, well, I mean, it had its, it had its <laughs> best new music moment. Yeah. So. Yeah, this is, this is true for me, too. This is my first Woo Life conversation. I think that's why I'm I'm a little uncertain about how to say the band's name, because I, I feel like I've only <laughs> typed it. I've never said it out loud. So this is sort of like a, an interesting tangent for me. Like, we're both making... Maybe no one has ever talked about Woo Life outside of the internet. That's true. I, I think you might be onto something there. <laughs> it's like the, We're like the Neil Armstrong of... 
Woo Life conversations in in IRL. Um, okay, I'll, I'll go to my next band. We'll drop the Woo Life tangent. Maybe we'll end up doing a Woo Life episode, though, Derek. You think? I'm gonna guess no. <laughs> I think people, probably not. I don't know. I'm just anticipating people tweeting and be, wait. I like the yeah. Woo Life part. Now that we've broken this ground, yeah, know, it's sorry. like this is we, we've uh, unleashed Pandora's box of Woo Life conversations. Okay, we're going to get back to me and Chris talking about favorite sleeper records here in a minute. But before we do, I want to tell you about another one of our sponsors for this week's episode, and that is our friends at Mac Weldon. Now, Mac Weldon is a place you want to go to get, shall we say, your favorite undergarments. I'm talking about underwear. I'm talking about shirts. I'm talking about socks. I'm talking about all of these great clothes that we all need. And Mac Weldon. They are a great place to get it because they believe in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. Now, I know when I go there, you know, you just go on the site, you pick what you want, and then they ship it to your house. You don't have to go to the store because this is like kind of boring stuff to shop for. Who wants to shop for underwear for themselves? You go to Mack Weldon, you go on the site, it's so easy, and the clothes are great. They want you to be comfortable. So if you don't like the first pair, you can keep it, and they will still refund you no questions asked. And they have great products that you are going to want to try. Now, to entice you, my listeners, to check out Mac Weldon, I have a special offer just for my listeners. If you go to MacWeldon.com and you enter in the promo code CELEBRATION, you will get 20% off your first order. You're going to get a great product, and you're also going to get it for cheap. So why not try it? Again, that's MacWeldon.com. Enter in the promo code CELEBRATION. And you will get 20% off your first order, and you will help the podcast. So please do that. All right. Now let's get to me and Chris talking about the rest of our favorite sleeper records of 2018. My next band, this is the band that um, you guys, Stereo Gum, you did. This was your album of the week one week. So, you know, again, people might say this isn't really a sleeper. However, I do tell people about this record all the time, and they've never heard of it, and they always really like it. And uh, the record's called Constant Image, and it's by a band called Flasher. It's a trio from D.C. They're described as post-punk, but to me, they, they're a lot poppier than that. There's almost like a psychedelic edge, I think, a little bit to some of their songs. Mm-hmm. Like It reminds me almost of like early Tame Impala type stuff, it's certainly like with the vocals and, and how the guitars sound. Um, the main guy in this, guy, in this band is a, it's a guy named Taylor M- Mullets. Mm-hmm. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. I believe so. Which is a great last name. It's not spelled like mullets, like the hairstyle, like multi, like he has multiple mullets, but it's, you know, you can envision <laughs> that. It puts it in your head. He used to be in a band called Priest, but I act like Flasher a lot more than that band. And, you know, the thing is, like a lot of these sort of like scene bands, like these sort of post-punk bands that are in D.C. or in Brooklyn or in Philadelphia, um, even like the good band, sometimes there's sort of like a dryness to a lot of their records or, a, or like a straightforwardness where there's not a lot going on sonically. And even if like you see the band and they're really good live, the records kind of lay flat and they're not that exciting to listen to. And one of the things that really jumps out at me about this album is like how good it sounds. And I know that has something to do with like how it was produced. I think the guy who did it has worked with like the War on Drugs and Animal Collective and some of the bigger indie rock bands. Um, but the other thing I like about this band is that you know there's three people in the band and they all sing. Their vocals all play off of each other. They're not really singing conventional harmonies necessarily. It's sort of like, you know, sometimes 
like the guitar player and the drummer will sing. Sometimes the bass player will sing. Sometimes the bass player and the drummer will sing. It's all these different combinations of vocals where it's really sort of inviting almost like a bunch of pals getting together to play. And yet, at the same time, as you know, as much as it has that sort of informality to it, the songs are also really well written. And again, it's really well produced. So it's this great combination of sort of like having a slickness to it that instantly draws you in. It's just like a really kind of catchy, summery-type record. Uh, and yet also, you know, there's a feeling of spontaneity to the songs a little bit and a feeling of sort of vibrancy from this band. Um, I like them a lot. This is their debut full-length. I think there was an EP that came out a couple years ago. Um, but it's just a really sort of economic record, you know, the songs kind of come and go uh, without wasting too much time. Um, I like them a lot. I don't know, are you a fan of this band? Yeah, I mean, we, everybody at Stereo Gum loves Flasher. Like, we had them, when we did our best albums of the year so far list, I think they were in the top five. Oh, wow. uh, so, uh, like, I, mean, I agree with you, they, they haven't gotten equivalent attention. I mean, we, we, we gave them a cover story and album of the week and, like, went kind of all out because it's one of the rare bands that basically everybody on our staff likes. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think it's well, everything you said is true. It's, like, super economical songwriting. I love the collectivist approach to songwriting where it seems like even if there's somebody singing lead vocals on a song, like, it's all kind of puzzle pieces being put together. And uh, it's got the punk energy, but it's also slick and sounds really pretty. Like, there, there's a lot of things to like about it. And I recommend the cover story that my coworker Gabriella Tully Claymore wrote about Flasher uh, for people who want to learn more about their background. They, they actually work at that uh, place, the, the Comet Pizza Place in Washington, D.C., that was the center of the Pizzagate conspiracy <laughs> theory. Oh, really? So, yeah, they had to deal with all of that. Oh, man. That was a great uh, plug, by the way. Good plug for yeah, your coworker. Yeah, I like to plug my uh, coworkers. You know, and my own. So I know, I because I feel like I just I, I just plug myself on this podcast, and and that's not a good thing to do. I, I'm 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 too self obsessed, and here you are. You're very altruistic. You're you're plugging your coworkers. You're giving a good PizzaGate nugget, so people are like, ooh, okay. Now I definitely have to read this story. You did a good job there, man. I'm, 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 I'm proud of you. That was, that was very good. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> what is next on your list? Okay, so I got one more super loud, gnarly album next, uh, which is Only Love by The Armed. Yes. This and is, this, this has been is a big one, like, I, I I call the Birds in a Row album intense, but The Armed album is intense on a different level. It's like... I. I keep coming back to the word Blitzkrieg to explain <laughs> what it's like listening to the Armed album. They, they are a, I guess you could call them a hardcore band from Detroit, but it's like art, art school hardcore. Like, uh, there's a lot going on. Uh, there's you know, crazy sense. Uh, like, sometimes it's not clear if there's an actual time signature happening or if it's just like, an onslaught of noise, but it all kind of adds up into this uh, really visceral. Uh, it, I keep using the same descriptors over and over <laughs> again, but like that's kind of like. Would you say it's visceral? 
I did say visceral. <laughs> and yeah, it's one of those music critic words. Yes. But like you said, we're on the podcast. It's true. It's um, true. I, I I drop visceral all the time in 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 reviews. It's like you know, well, what are you going to do? Some things are visceral. What what else are you going to call it? Like, what are the words? Right. Exactly. Visceral is a good word. So, so this uh, the armed. It's like they're another one where they have this whole high concept like backstory and they're like kind of an art project as much as a band, but they, the the music is, uh, just relentless. Like it just, I, I was cleaning my house when my family was, you know, my wife took the kids out somewhere and I was like moving bookshelves and like, I had this blasting at insane volumes and it was one of the most productive hours I've had in a long time. Not that I don't think it even lasts an hour. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I guess it, it kind of reminds me of death heaven in a way, but it's, it's a lot more like fractured and, uh, immediate. It's, it's not like this kind of, spra- you know, I, I think of death heaven as having these kind of sprawling, uh, really, uh, purposeful movements of almost a classic mindset of how they're building their songs. Whereas this is like, just like punching you in the face over and over again. <laughs> well, and like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like, you know, death heaven, especially now is like a, like a pretty melodic band. And like the arm mm-hmm. is like not melodic at all. Right. Or are there like sort of melodies? I mean, that you there's detect? melodic elements. Like there, there's keyboard parts that are like kind of blaring within the, the mix. Uh, but yeah, this is, this is definitely more like a, a nasty car crash and, and less <laughs> melodic than that's heaven by far. So I like, you, you likened it to being punched in the face in a car crash, which are yes. both great things that we all love to experience. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, like the, sometimes you want that in, in your music, or at least sometimes I do. Right. Exactly. So uh, let me ask you something like, have you seen the armed live? I have not. Uh, I sadly none of these bands that I recommend each day have I seen live, uh, and hopefully I can fix that. Because the reason I asked, I did see Snail Mail live and live, and I was disappointed with it. Yes, because she needs to hire a new drummer. Yeah, you're. But you're, that's a tangent we don't need to go down. Yeah, you were talking about that on Twitter. You're you had a bad Snail Mail live experience, which yeah. is it's funny, you know. And I guess we'll go on a mini tangent about this, but like when when you tweeted that, I almost. When I was going to almost go on my own thread here, here, look, this is such a podcast conversation, by the way, talking about what you tweeted. I, I, you know, yeah. It's always great when people say that on a podcast. Uh, but um, I think there is a thing right now, uh, certainly in indie rock, where there's like so many bands or artists that build a following before they've actually ever toured extensively, you know, because of mm-hmm. how Bandcamp is. And, you know, like I remember when, um, Carsey Headrest was first starting to become a thing. Like, Will Toledo was actually on the podcast, and this was, like, right around the time that Teens of Denial came out. And I don't think he had ever done a real tour yet. Like, he was sort of talking about how he had just hired a band, basically, and that they Mm -hmm. were starting to sort of figure out what they were going to do. And I know with him, like, I saw him a bunch early, like, around that time, and he was not very good live at first. And then by like the second or third time I saw him, it was like markedly improved. Um, but it oh, is, yeah. it, I, I saw him at a few different festivals over the course of a couple of years. And it definitely was 
a big difference between the first one and the last one. And it was his band. It was also just him, like feeling confident up there, and you could see that change. He started like wearing suits on stage. You know, there was more of like a sort of a thought to presentation. But it is an interesting thing now where, you know, the sort of traditional way that you tour, like you play clubs for three or four years or something, and then you make a record. And, you know, that model does, I, I mean, I guess that probably still exists in, in some areas, but there's this whole other sort of group of, of bands that, uh, or artists who like weren't really even a band, like they called themselves maybe something, and then they start to get a little well-known and then it's like, Oh, I have to form a band now and, and tour and kind of figure it out, uh, in public. Uh, so that's an interesting phenomenon that, uh, seems to be happening more and more lately. Yeah. And I think, you know, that kind of ties back to what you were saying earlier about some of these bands that are not subject to the hype storm are maybe getting to get those reps in. So by the time album two or three comes around and people, they really have people's attention. They they do have the live show that's going to floor people. Right, right. Because ultimately, that's how you're going to have a career. you got to be able to, especially now, you got to be able to play live and have people want to come see you. Um, my next person, I'm going to go in the opposite direction from, oh, wait, before I get to my next person, the only reason I asked you about if you had seen The Arm Live is because I've I've seen other people talk about seeing the arm live and talking about how great it was. And I'm just wondering if that influences how people feel about the record, because I've, I, I have not gotten into the album yet. Like I've tried a couple different ways and I'm going to keep trying because it, it's intriguing to me, but like just as a record yet, like I don't really, it hasn't really connected with me. Although again, I feel uh, like it's, it's definitely not for everyone. Yeah. And, and I also feel like it's probably me and not the album. Like I feel like I have to sort of figure out, how to get in there because sometimes you can hear a record and not get into it but know that there's something there that's good and you just kind of have to like figure out the right way to approach it and i think that's my issue with that album right now so it's like i'm not going to dismiss it i'm just saying i'm not getting it right now but i hope to get it soon because like as you were saying they seem like a really interesting band so armed wait for me yeah i'm coming hopefully <laughs> um I'm going to go in the opposite direction with my next pick. I'm going to go with a English folky <laughs> named Ben Howard. And this is another instance of a person who is not really talked about a lot in the media. You don't really see a lot of stories about him, or at least I haven't. And yet there is sort of a level of like real world popularity that seems to like not be remarked upon, you know, and there, and there's a gap with a lot of artists like that. Because I know Ben Howard, especially in his home country, is a big deal. And even here in America, he can tour and play, you know, pretty big theaters, 2,500, 3,000-seat theaters, and, and, and play those types of rooms. Um, but again, this is another person who, like, when I talk to people about him, they haven't really heard of him. So I thought, well, I should talk about him, because I've actually come to be a pretty big fan of his records. And I would liken him to... To in this, I don't know if this is going to scare people off, but like David Gray kind of comes to mind in a way. If you remember David Gray, big in the, I do big uh, in the two thousands. Are you a David Gray fan? I, I I'm not anti David Gray. I, I actually I I think I reviewed one of his concerts for my local daily newspaper back when I was an intern. Uh, I, I'm I'm a fan. I, I wouldn't call myself a fan. Uh, my 
biggest critique of the Amen Dunes album that you loved was how much it sounded like David Gray. <laughs> right. Uh, but well, in the David Gray comparison again is sort of like it's a folky type singer playing with electronic elements underneath. So that's sort mm-hmm. of like an electro folk thing. And that was David Gray's big thing. And I think that's probably what you're drawing the connection to with the Amen Dunes record. And then there's this Ben Howard thing that has a similar thing going on. I also think Ben Howard, I would liken him to someone like John Martin for people out there who mm-hmm. are fans of like 70s British folk singers where, uh, you know, John Martin is a great guitar player, but he's not necessarily showing off you know, how great he is by playing long solos. It's about, it's about the textures of the guitar and, and playing with different sounds. And, and he would use a lot of different effects uh, with his guitar and just kind of creating where it's not just a guy playing acoustic guitar by himself. He's playing in that style, but really kind of blowing out the music and making it sound interesting. And I think Ben Howard does that as well. He, he uses a lot of different tunings. He has a very percussive style. And starting with his previous record that came out in 2014 called I Forget Where We Are, he started playing with more, almost like an ambient style. I've heard it likened to Radiohead in some respects. There's, there's definitely elements of that. And that's where I got on board with him on that record. He put out an album before that called Every Kingdom. That was his first album. And that was like the album that was really big in England and kind of made his name. Um, the album that he put out this year is called Noonday Dream, and it's it picks up where the previous record left off. Again, he's working in a singer-songwriter style, but a lot of the lyrics are, uh, you know, it's not putting the lyrics front and center. It's it's almost like the words are used as more texture in the songs, and the vocals are more textures in the songs. And um, it's really about kind of creating a mood more than just kind of presenting sort of a song-centric presentation like a lot of these type of singer-songwriter records are. Um, And I really like it. I think it's a beautiful record. And I'm always intrigued by people that uh, work in this style where where it's just a person with a guitar, but they can find a way to do it in an unconventional way. Uh, where you're sort of breaking a lot of the sort of archetypes of like what a record like this is supposed to be. And I feel like he does that uh, on this album and, and certainly the previous album as well. So Ben Howard, Noonday Dream is a record I like a lot. I know. Have you heard this record at all? Have you ever listened to this? Uh, I just checked it out uh, when you recommended it for this, this podcast. Uh, not like literally in the last five minutes since you've been talking about it, but uh, when you, you hit me up, with your list, um, I, I checked it out last night, um, and I agree about uh, its appeal. Um, it's it's not it's not your average singer songwriter record. There's um, some real atmospheric qualities to it that uh, it's it's music you can get lost in. Uh, and I, I appreciated it for sure. I was not familiar with him. I, I, I remember. When we did our Stereo Gum Best Albums of 2018 so far list, I think it was that feature. Some commenter was like, what about Ben Howard? And we all, uh, my, my initial reaction was to think that he was talking about Ben Harper and <laughs> uh, be completely confused. Uh, but then I have subsequently learned who Ben Howard is and 
I don't know if I'm quite like hashtag team Ben Howard yet, but I am open to the possibility of becoming a big Ben Howard fan. And then after that, David Gray, here we come. For you. Right, well. I'll open the door to David Gray fandom. Hey, man, I'm turning 35 <laughs> this year. It's, I, there's no telling where things could go. Exactly. It's, it's wide open. Soft rock. Here we come. Um, what's next on your list? Uh, I think I'll talk about Liza Ann next. Uh, this is a singer-songwriter out of Nashville. Uh, she's on Arts and Crafts, the label run by Broken Social Scene. Um, and just to give you another reference point, she got selected to play Paramore's Nashville Music Festival, uh, although she doesn't really sound like Paramore or Broken Social Scene. Um, it's a little bit... Her stuff is, is like you know slick pop rock songwriting uh, that you would kind of expect out of Nashville. It's not really rootsy. There, there's a slight twang to it sometimes, but uh, the thing that most impresses me about her is the vocal melodies that she comes up with are really surprising, um, kind of counterintuitive, but make perfect sense. Um, and you know, she does that in the context of these... Some of the rock songs on there are like, I could imagine them being hits in the 90s, like almost around the time that something like Bitch by Meredith Graves was a hit. Oh, okay. Um, but then there's, you know, there's kind of slow, slow jams on there too. Uh, one that I really loved that we premiered the video on Stereo Gum was uh, called Closest to Me, or she just sings about how she always hurts the people closest to her, but uh, it was just really compellingly beautiful. Um, it, it was enhanced a little bit by uh, a simple but effective music video where she's like right in the back of a cab and people keep getting in and out and she's just staring at you the whole time with her uh, kind of sad expression on her face. But uh, yeah, that that one is probably... Out of everything I'm talking about, I think that one has probably gotten the least media attention that I've seen. Yeah. Um, or at least in terms of, like, music critic Twitter buzz. Yeah. Uh, I don't see anybody talking about her album, which is called Fine But Dying. Um, and I heartily recommend that one. Yeah. I have not heard of this record. I had not heard of it before you mentioned it, so... Thank you for that. It sounds really cool. And you mentioned you, you made like a Meredith Brooks reference. So I'm on board. I want to hear. <laughs> well, I don't know if it exactly <laughs> sounds like like "Bitch" by Meredith Brooks, but uh, oh no, the pull quote like, is maybe the pull quote is Christabel. I'm thinking back to the time when uh, like somebody like that or, or Cheryl Crow yeah. used to have a lot of hits. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm on board. And again, the pull quote is. Sounds exactly like Bitch by Meredith Brooks, says Chris right, got it. of Stereo <laughs> I'm glad you, you, you heard me right put there. That, put that on the CD right there. That's the pull quote right there. Um, my last pick is a record that I have not seen a lot of people talking about. This is probably like my least uh, discussed as well. And I hadn't heard of it until someone on Twitter mentioned it to me. They recommended this band because I was tweeting about a band that I really love called X-Hex. Uh, mm-hmm. which is a band led by Mary Timoney. And uh, I was just talking about how 
this band XX put out a perfect record in my estimation, a perfect power pop album called Rips in 2014. Uh, and they haven't done anything since. And apparently they are in the studio now working on an album, which is very exciting. But this very nice person on Twitter, they reached out and they said, look, Betsy Wright is also an ex-hex and she has another band called Bat Fangs. And that's the band I want to talk about, Bat Fangs. They put out a self-titled record in 2018, earlier this year. And if you like X-Hex, if you like heavy riffing, like power pop records, if you like the idea of listening to an album that is only nine songs in 25 minutes, this is the great record for you. I think it's a great summertime record. And again, since we're, I'm allowing myself to make hacky comparisons in this podcast, I would say that Bat Fang sounds like if the Go-Go's had made a Def Leppard record. That's how I would say Bat Fang sounds like because it um, it has sort of a a really sort of like candy coated glossiness to it. Great guitar sounds on it, and yet they're just playing really great riffs. It's like you know parking lot music. You know you're sitting in your car drinking a Slurpee, and not that I recommend smoking, but you know the sort of metaphorically smoking cigarettes that kind of album. Um, it's just a hell of a lot of fun. And uh, I haven't seen a lot of people talking about it, but it's the kind of record that I feel like people always like to have in their arsenal, especially, you know, if you're having a barbecue, you know, and you're hanging out, drinking some beers, smoke, you know, and you're, uh, you know, grilling some hot dogs or something. This is a record to put on. Again, the band is called Bat Fangs. It's a cell tower record, and uh, it's really pleasurable. It's really fun. I like it a lot. Yeah, that was one that... uh Actually, Tom wrote about that one as a Stereo Gum album of the week, too, but I, it slipped past me. I haven't actually listened to it yet. Tom Bryan, with the with the albums of the week, he's like ahead of the curve. At yeah, a turn here that on guy's this list. like good at his job. <laughs> um, what's, last, um, what's last on your list? All right, my final pick is going to be American Pleasure Club. Oh, this is uh, a good record. Band formerly known as Teen Suicide. Yes. Um, this is their first official album uh, since changing their band name after deciding that the band name Teen Suicide was problematic. Yes. Um, and the the album is called A Whole Fucking Lifetime of This. And uh, so Sam Ray, the guy who is kind of like the mastermind of this project, he also records as Ricky Eat Acid, and he's had a bunch of other aliases over the years um kind of one of the mainstays of the band camp underground uh he so he, he his music has taken a lot of different shapes but uh with this band american pleasure club it is like it's probably the most straightforward indie rock project of anything that he does uh and that said it's still not exactly a straightforward indie rock project. Like there are some songs in here that are uh, kind of like real woozy, lo-fi uh, guitar jams. But then, then we also have a song on here where he samples Frank Ocean and like kind of turns it into a dream pop thing. Uh, there are songs that reminded me of like intelligent dance music from 
the late nineties and like trip hop and just the kind of stuff, second half of the nineties that was supposed to sound like the future. Um, he's kind of like going back and repurposing some of that. Um, and it's all kind of just builds into this mirage of, I don't know for him. I, I don't know if it's nostalgia for him or not. I don't know if he was like picking up a lot of this music the first time around, or if he, you know, kind of had to go back as I think he's probably mid to late twenties. So, uh, he may or may not have caught some of this stuff the first time around, but, uh, it was just a lot of, you know, obviously a lot of people are cribbing from the 90s right now, but I, I felt like it was really artfully selected um, throwbacks to that time um, in a way that kind of sounded out of time almost because of the way he produced it to make it sound like a dream. Um, right. And, yeah, that is one where, if you don't mind, kind of that, lo-fi sloppy approach uh i think that there's a lot to love there yeah i mean and i'm going to say something very rock critic sounding right now but to me that is what i would call like a post poptimism type album where it's like an indie rock record it has the aesthetics of an indie rock record and yet like the music that he's drawing from the reference points it's drawing across sort of the music spectrum you know like in a different time that kind of band would have been referencing like the fall and you know stuff like that you know like very sort of like safe punk touchstone type stuff whereas now someone working in that in that um, idiom is like drawing from like as you said like they're drawing from dance music there's like pure pop songs on there there's also you know traditional indie rock on there it's like all there's like no sort of limits on what can be referenced and drawn from and uh it's a pretty exciting thing i think it's kind of what makes it cool uh when you listen to that record it does feel like a mixtape to a degree you know like you don't really sense that he's hemmed in by any sort of idea of like what he has to sound like he can sound like anything yeah. he wants to sound like uh which is a really cool thing so yeah i like that record too that is that is a good one um Chris, I think we're out of albums. We're out of sleepers here. Although we could have mentioned many more. There's so many good sleepers out there and semi-sleepers. And we'll just yeah. go down the list of Tom Bryan's albums of the week and we'll just call them all <laughs> sleepers. Um, Chris, always a pleasure talking with you, man. Thank you so much. Oh, wait, Derek's going to say something here. Do you think maybe we should just run down your list real quick for somebody who might have missed a name along the way? Yes. Very, very good idea. producing there, Derek. Why don't you go first, Chris? All right, my picks for 2018 sleeper albums uh, were Illuminati Hotties with their album Kiss Your Frenemies, uh, Birds in Row was the next band, and their album is called We Already Lost the World, and then The Armed with the album Only Love, uh, Liza Ann with her album Fine But Dying, and the last one was American Pleasure Club, a whole fucking lifetime of this. And my picks were Songs of Praise by Shame, Yoke in the Fur by Wild Pink. It's funny because I was deleting the records off my list as I was saying them, so I had to remember what they are. So it was Yoke in the Fur <laughs> by Wild Pink. It was the Bat Fangs self-titled record, Noonday Dream by Ben Howard, and Flasher's Constant Image. Ten records there, and I'm sure you haven't heard most of those records, so go check them out. They're all really great. 
Chris, always a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much for coming on the pod, man. We'll do it again soon. Yeah, thanks again for the invite. All right, Have man. a good one. Yeah, you too, man. Take care. Okay, so that was me and Chris running down our favorite sleeper records of the year. Hopefully you found something in this episode that you hadn't heard before that sounds interesting that you want to go check out once you're done listening to this podcast. I think you will. It's a pretty good variety of different kinds kinds of music, different kinds of records. Um, and if you liked what you heard, let me know. Hit me up. Uh, I'm on Twitter. You can hit us up at Pod over there on Twitter. Give us a tweet. Let us know if you checked out Wild Pink or you checked out The Armed or anyone else that we talked about in this episode. And, and, and let me know if you liked it or not. Um, I want to give a shout out, as always, here to the man that makes it happen, our producer, Derek Madden. Thank you, Derek. Got to give a shout out to Josh Copperman for writing our theme song. Thank you, Josh, for doing that. And thank you all out there for listening and supporting the podcast. We would not be here without you. So thank you for spreading the word on social media, telling your friends, and leaving reviews for us. That is such a helpful thing, and I really appreciate it. Guys, thanks again for listening to this week's episode of Celebration Rock. We will be back again next week. On the Westwood One Podcast Network. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.